0: Section 4 of And Even Now by Max Beerbohm. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 4 Kolnyach, 1913. None of us who keep an eye on the heavens of European literature can forget the emotion that we felt when, but a few years since, the red star of Kolnyach swam into our ken as nobody can prove that i wasn't i claim now that i was the first to gauge the magnitude of this star and to predict the ascendant course which it has in fact triumphantly taken that was in the days when kolnyatsch was still alive his recent death gives the cue for the boom out of that boom i for one will not be left i rush to scrawl my name large on the tombstone of colniatch these foreign fellows always are especially to be commended by the mere mention of their names you evoke in the reader or hearer a vague sense of your superiority and his thank heaven we are no longer insular i don't say we have no native talent we have heaps of it pyramids of it all around But where, for the genuine thrill, would England be, but for her good fortune in being able to draw on a seemingly inexhaustible supply of anguished souls from the continent? Infantile, wide-eyed Slavs, Titan Teutons, greatly blighted Scandinavians, all of them different, but all of them raving in one common darkness— and with one common gesture plucking out their vitals for exportation. There is no doubt that our continuous receipt of this commodity has had a bracing effect on our national character. We used to be rather phlegmatic, used we not? We have learnt to be vibrant. Of Kolnyac, as of all authentic master spirits in literature, It is true that he must be judged rather by what he wrote than by what he was, but the quality of his genius, albeit nothing if not national and also universal, is at the same time so deeply personal that we cannot afford to close our eyes on his life, a life happily not void of those sensational details which are what we really care about. If you have tears, prepare to shed them now. Colniatch was born, last of a long line of rag-pickers, in 1886. At the age of nine, he had already acquired that passionate alcoholism, which was to have so great an influence in the moulding of his character and on the trend of his thought. Otherwise, he does not seem to have shown in childhood any exceptional promise. It was not before his 18th birthday that he murdered his grandmother and was sent to that asylum in which he wrote the poems and plays belonging to what we now call his earlier manner. In 1907, he escaped from his sanctum, or chutzcheck cell, as he sardonically called it, and, having acquired some money by an act of violence, gave, by sailing for America, early proof that his genius was of the kind that crosses frontiers and seas. Unfortunately, it was not of the kind that passes Ellis Island. America, to her lasting shame, turned him back. Early in 1908, we find him once more in his old quarters, working at those novels and confessions, on which, in the opinion of some, his fame will ultimately rest. Alas, we don't find him there now. It will be a fortnight ago to-morrow that Luntik Kornjatsch passed peacefully away in the twenty-eighth year of his age. He would have been the last to wish us to indulge in any sickly sentimentality. Nothing is here for tears, nothing but well and fair and what may quiet us in a death so noble. Was Kolnyac mad? It depends on what we mean by that word. If we mean, as the bureaucrats of Ellis Island, and, to their lasting shame, his friends and relatives, presumably meant that he did not share our own smug and timid philosophy of life, then, indeed, Kolnyac was not sane granting for sake of argument that he was mad in a wider sense than that we do but oppose an insuperable stumbling-block to the eugenists imagine what europe would be today had kolnyatsch not been as one of his critics avers it is hardly too much to say that a time may not be far distant and may indeed be nearer than many of us suppose when Luntik Kolnyach will rightly or wrongly be reckoned by some of us as not the least of those writers who are especially symptomatic of the early twentieth century and are possibly for all time or for a more or less certainly not inconsiderable period of time that is finally said but i myself go somewhat further i say that kolnyatch's message has drowned all previous messages and will drown any that may be uttered in the remotest future you ask me what precisely that message was well it is too elemental too near to the very heart of naked nature for exact definition can you describe the message of an angry python More satisfactorily than as or that of an infuriated bull better than as moo. That of Kolnyach lies somewhere between these two. Indeed, at whatever point we take him, we find him hard to fit into any single category. Was he a realist or a romantic? he was neither and he was both by more than one critic he has been called a pessimist and it is true that a part of his achievement may be gauged by the length to which he carried pessimism railing and raging not in the manner of his tame forerunners merely at things in general or at women or at himself but lavishing an equally fierce scorn and hatred on children on trees and flowers and the moon, and indeed on everything that the sentimentalists have endeavoured to force into favour. On the other hand, his burning faith in a personal devil, his frank delight in earthquakes and pestilences, and his belief that every one but himself will be brought back to life in time to be frozen to death in the next glacial epoch, seem rather to stamp him as an optimist. By birth and training a man of the people, he was yet an aristocrat to the fingertips, and Byron would have called him brother, though one trembles to think what he would have called Byron. First and last, he was an artist, and it is by reason of his technical mastery that he most of all outstands. Whether in prose or in verse, he compasses a broken rhythm that is as the very rhythm of life itself, and a cadence that catches you by the throat as a terrier catches a rat and wrings from you the last drop of pity and awe. His skill in avoiding the inevitable word is simply miraculous. He is the despair of the translator far be it from me to belittle the devoted labours of mr and mrs pegaway whose monumental translation of the master's complete works is now drawing to its splendid close their promised biography of the murdered grandmother is awaited eagerly by all who take and which of us does not take a breathless interest in colniachana but mr and mrs pegaway would be the first to admit that their renderings of the prose and verse they love so well are a wretched substitute for the real thing. I wanted to get the job myself, but they nipped in and got it before me. Thank heaven they cannot deprive me of the power to read Kolnyach in the original Dibrich, and to crow over you, who can't. Of the man himself, for on several occasions I had the privilege— and the permit to visit him i have the pleasantest most sacred memories his was a wonderfully vivid and intense personality the head was beautiful perfectly conic in form the eyes were like two revolving lamps set very close together the smile was haunting there was a touch of old-world courtesy in the repression of the evident impulse to spring at one's throat. The voice had notes that recalled M. Mounet-Selyse in the later and more important passages of Oedipe Roy. I remember that he always spoke with the greatest contempt of Mr. and Mrs. Pegaway's translations. He likened them to, "'But enough,' His boom is not yet at the full. A few weeks hence, I shall be able to command an even higher price than I could now for my talks with Kolnyach. End of section four.